Hello and welcome to another episode of the Agro-Innovations Podcast, all things related and debated in agriculture. I'm your host, Frank Aragona. Thanks so much for joining us. In this episode of the podcast, we are with Eric Herm, who blogs at sonofafarmer.com, and Eric is a farmer in West Texas. Eric Herm, welcome to the Agro-Innovations Podcast. Uh, Thanks for having me, Frank. So let's just start uh, simply by asking where your farm is located geographically. Geographically, we're about 40 miles uh, west of the Midman-Odessa area in West Texas, and uh, about 100 miles south of Lubbock. We're pretty much out in the middle of nowhere where the desert tried to give birth to the prairie. Right, so you're out there on the Edwards Plateau, I, I think? Yeah, it's well, it's more considered the uh, like the Caprock Canyon. We're on the bottom of that, which meets right at Big Spring, Texas. Okay. And uh, it's just uh, at the very bottom end of uh, the panhandle. What's your topography and land type like out there? Uh, our soil is a mix of uh, sandy, uh, sandy soil, and then uh, you head just east, and it gets a little heavier. It's uh, quite a bit of a clay mixture. So we farm two, two uh, considerably different types of soil, with uh, one being a heavy sand mix and the other one being a little bit more clay. Okay, and uh, it's um, if you've ever been to West Texas, I don't know. It's uh, we get a lot of heavy winds out here. You know, forty to sixty miles an hour is not uh, out of the ordinary, and we are infamous for our sandstorms. Tell us about your personal history, Eric, in regards to your relationship to farming and your family farm. Uh, I'm a fourth generation uh, farmer in this area. My dad, my, both my granddads and all my great-granddads farmed. Um, I grew up on the farm. Uh, I went to college, left the farm, swore I would never be back. And uh, I just, it, for various reasons, it just uh, wasn't my cup of tea and didn't see a whole lot of future in it for me and didn't want to sit around out here and, uh, the rest of my life. And as I got older, I kind of was calling me back, and I moved back about five years ago when I was 30, 31 at the time, and uh, just was coming back to help out my dad, you know, for what I thought would just be one or two years, and uh, little did I know that it was going to really grab hold of me again, and, you know, they say farming gets in your blood, and uh, I guess that was certainly the case with me, and I saw how much of a, a need there was for not only uh, young farmers to get back into agriculture, but also new ideas and innovations that were going to help sustain agriculture uh, for not just my generation, but even for the next generation. And on down, I saw all the many challenges, and it just I felt like I needed to take it by myself to stay here and try to make the family farm a better place. Right, and one of the things I've gleaned from your writings is that uh, you've seen, as you're talking about now as well, you've seen the need to transform uh, the way in which farming is done. 
Can you talk about that process, especially uh, in comparison to how your father, your grandfather has farmed, and then your vision of how this transformation needs to take place and what exactly, how you need to approach farming now? Yeah, somewhere along the lines, uh, between the 70s and 80s, uh, it's a result of low grain prices, uh, um, bad experiences with other crops. Farmers in this area, and I think predominantly across the country, we become one-trick ponies, more or less, you know, kind of sticking to our bread or bread and butter, whatever that one crop may be. Uh, here in West Texas, it's cotton, and we've, we farm that crop, you know, uh, year after year after year, uh, no rotation, you know, there was no no organic matter in our soil. You know, when I moved back and was taking soil samples, our organic matter was about 1%. And anybody um, in the organic world particularly would tell you you need it 4 or 5% to have healthy crops. And uh, I think there was just a real disconnect that happened between the farmer and nature. It becomes so much of a so much of a business, you know, you hear the term factory farms, and uh, I think that's the direction that agriculture chose to go, and we, we turned a blind eye to a lot of the, the problems that we've caused ourselves, you know, with with soil erosion, with, you know, addiction to chemical farming, and, you know, kind of like uh, everything in the, the pharmaceutical industry, you know, it's that little blue pill to cure all our ills, you know, we've kind of done that with chemicals and you know I was gone for almost a decade and coming back I could see I could see soil erosion in places I mean it was like night and day from when I was a kid you know you see how the sand builds up and um, just really I think the, the concept was basically just survival for farmers you know in the 90s here we had a huge drought and so there wasn't many things that would work and cotton is all guys knew here. And I think that, um, when I returned, I kind of had a childlike, uh, approach to it again, because I was trying to relearn a lot of the things I'd forgotten and, and learn things that I never really paid attention to. And in that process, um, you know, researching books and reading from guys like Philip Callahan, uh, Arden Anderson, and, uh, various scientists who've done work with in agriculture and, and in nature, uh, their writings and all these other things that I discovered on my own, just walking the fields, uh, just completely opened my eyes to a, a, a whole new world, which enabled me to fall in love with farming, you know, because I didn't have that as a child because it was just like, you know, you go out and sit on a tractor all day. There's just you know again that disconnect I think between between nature and man, and that's what I've tried to embrace. I try to do everything I can to be in balance with with the environment around me, trying to rotate crops, trying to use organic fertilizer instead of commercial petroleum based fertilizers i I stay away from chemicals as much as possible um we've pretty much eliminated the use of pesticides on our fields now because of what I've learned through um, Callahan's writings and his books about how 
insects function and why they destroy crops. And, uh, you know, we, we have unhealthy soil and we're raising unhealthy plants. And, you know, we, it looks looks fine to us, but we don't see, you know, uh, what insects see. We don't we don't see it on their on their vision scale in terms to different energy. Um, you know, we, we just deal with visible energy. And, um, when you, when you kind of break everything down, you realize, I realize how many lies we've been told, you know, in farming, you know, we've been sold this bill of goods by industries that don't need to exist, such as the pesticide industry. And it's, it's infuriating and, uh, for me, it was, and I think that when you empower yourself with knowledge, you have one or two ways to go. You can get mad and give up, or you can get inspired and make the changes that you want to exist in the rest of the world, and that's what I'm trying to do, and that's what I will do. So can you talk about this process of sort of depersonalization with nature um, one thing that strikes me is you're a fourth generation farmer. So at some place along the line, I don't know if it was in those four generations. I, I mean, you look back at, uh, European farming in the middle ages, and certainly there was a lot of things that we would look at and say, well, that's backwards, but there's a lot of other things that we would look at and, and we would recognize as, you know, revived in this organic movement and the permacultural movement. Uh, a lot of these traditional practices had to work with nature because they didn't have access to chemical fertilizers and pesticides and the like. So how do you see that this process played out in terms of the disconnect between the farmer and nature over generations? I think uh, you take the baby boomer generation, which, you know, my dad is a part of, you know, he, he tells me, you know, kind of whenever I was talking about organic farming, he said, I grew up with organic farming, and, you know, and it didn't work. He remembers a time where they had to replant their crops because weeds choked it out, you know. And uh, but, but I think they were just looking at it. Organic only involves not using chemicals. You know, when the yellow herbicide came about, it made farming easy. You know, you go out there and spray the trefland, which was only... Uh, yellow herbicide at the time when it came out, you spray that, oh man, you know, it was a whole new world for these guys. And, um, you know, machinery, just things got bigger and, and more powerful and, and faster. You could farm more land. And I think that that was the energy or the the ideas were focused more on growth than they were enhancing. You know, we it's kind of like, um, you know, the American way, bigger is better. And that's where farming took off, you know, where guys were, my great-grandfather farmed, you know, everybody back in those days had 160 acres, you know, and they farmed it with teams of horses. Well, when they got the tractors, you went from two-row to four-row to six-row and then 12-row. And, you know, we've had, they've got drills and planters out there where you can plant as wide as 60 to 80 feet at a time that's where our energy's gone. We've gone to all these innovations with GPS and everything. And we kind of pat ourselves on the back, like, Ooh, look how we're improving while kind of turning our back. You know, we, ha we haven't had our foot, you know, on both sides of the fence where we could 
we can bridge this. I'm, you know, we use GPS. I think it's wonderful, but you can't just focus only on technology and and these other innovations in the chemicals and and turn your back on what once worked. But you know, it's kind of like life in general. Life has been real easy for a long time, and you know, with the economic turmoil right now, we're kind of finding out maybe we need to get back a little bit to the the old ways. Some, but. Um, I think that commercial agriculture did a really good job of brainwashing farmers on various levels as far as advertising and, you know, buy this product, it's going to make it easier for you. You'll make more money. You won't have to spend as much. And um, I just think there's several things that led to that. Yeah, and so much of the, the marketing materials and the propaganda uh, from from the chemical industry sort of this declaration of war on nature if you look at it the the names of the products the imagery coming out of coming you know on the labels and that sort of thing so yeah i i I suppose you're in a unique position to to talk about that brainwashing of the farmer i want to ask go ahead oh go ahead sir well i think we took when these products first come out you know take ddt for instance or agent orange you know they don't you know, it's companies like Monsanto, and they have no long-term interest in our land, you know, our, our crops or how we make a living. You know, we're we're the consumer. We're just we're just revenue to them, and I think we can't fall in that trap, you know, of of their gimmicks or their their products. You know, we need to be relying more on our own minds, our own bodies, and um, coming up with ideas to to enhance our operations instead of just trying to make it easier or quicker or faster. And I think that the sooner we we get off that crutch of of corporate agriculture, the much better off we're going to be. Can you talk about some of the specific things that you've put into place on your farm, the the specific practices and, and transformation that you've tried to make on your farm to make this transition? Yeah, we, um, no longer use petroleum-based fertilizers at all. Um, my dad was a big advocate of it, and you know, he saw how it works. You know, but I started studying the history of fertilizers and how it came about, and you know how they they used it in uh, jungles, like in Vietnam and Korea and other places. They would spray huge amounts of it of it to kill the earth so they could land their planes. Well, they noticed the trees were growing real tall next to those runways. So like, oh, well, if we minimize this dosage, it's going to make plants grow, and we can sell this to the farmers. Well, when you read that and you realize the history of it, you're like, there's just another scam. And I've spilt, you can spill petroleum-based fertilizer on on the soil, and it'll kill everything, and it'll turn that ground to concrete. And I'm like, you know, this this can't be good. If it's not good for the earth, basically, if I, if I don't want to get it on me, I try not to use it on the soil or the plants. You know, to the most part, I haven't. I'm not an organic farmer yet, but I will be someday. I'm trying to get my my farms into shape where I can get into the organic process. I've gotten more into rotations. Uh, currently. Uh, building a biodiesel plant in our barn 
which will be complete probably by the summer. And uh, we're storing our own cotton seed to to use that. I've got a a press, a ten ton oil extruder, and we'll we'll dilute the cotton and get it down to a certain point, and then use that as our fuel in the future. And trying to come up with my own recipes for fertilizer with using compost, uh, harvest rainwater uh, from our barn and around my house. I've probably saved close to seventy to 80,000 gallons of, of rainwater in the last two years. And um, there's several projects just like that that I try to uh, grow a garden, you know, grow my own food, uh, use absolutely no chemicals in that, in the garden, um, run my pickup on vegetable oil. I have a system put on that where I can take used vegetable oil and, and run it in that. Um, there's just several projects like that I've been working on and, and trying to perfect and fine-tune for the last five years and trying to get complete independence and sustainability on my farm and in my life where I'm not depending on corporations or companies or outside sources because I, I have everything. I I have the resources right here where I live and, and from what I do, so why not utilize them and uh, create create a healthy, uh, beautiful world right here around me instead of just jumping in with the rest of the fold. Also, you are in a unique position, perhaps, in that you're aware of peak oil. You're aware of the current socioeconomic collapse that we're experiencing and also a strong advocate of relocalization, obviously. How do you see that? What is it? What is your sense of other farmers' feelings in regards to these these issues? Uh, I meet with a group of young farmers. Uh, we try to get together at least once a month. Um, there's only like five or six of us. Yeah, uh, where I grew up and went to high school. To show you where farming for this generation is at. In a 12-year period, there's only seven of us that are farming. But um. We talk about these things. I don't. I don't think that the majority of farmers really are prepared for what's what's coming down the pike with peak oil. I don't know if they've really got that in their head. You know, we, we've seen it with price scares, and I think, unfortunately, that's how people look at it is only from an economic standpoint. They don't really think about the availability of it in the very near future or the lack lack of availability. Um, I see where we're going to have to basically be less dependent uh, on our big tractors and making all these trips across the field. You know, guys who farm Roundup or, you know, genetically modified crops, they've cut out a lot of trips across the field, but they're, you know, they're still pumping toxins into their soil. And uh, I think that's a recipe for disaster in the near future. But to, to answer that, get back to your, your question, I think it's going to have huge, huge impact. I think we're going to have to farm less land first and foremost. You know, we got guys, the average family farms 
close 2,500 to 3,000 acres. You know, a lot of guys here farm much more than that. I think you're going to see a huge reduction in farming acres per per farmer or family. I I think that'll be an advantage instead of a disadvantage where in the past, you know, if you grew more, you were at a, a bigger advantage. Um, you're just going to have, I think we need to be not only the rotation of crops, but I think we need to plant a certain amount in grass for either grazing or baling or something. So you're not having to go across a hundred percent of your acres, you know, you know, we're seeing a lot more wheat in our country. So guys aren't having to make all those extra trips cause you can just plant it and then harvest it. And that's it. I think we're going to have to have a combination of ideas of a few of those type things, but also, um, you know, making your own fuel, I think, is a huge advantage where you can substitute uh, biodiesel. I don't think there's any future really in, in the ethanol. I I, that's not feasible. But with biodiesel, it doesn't take near as much money to produce it. it doesn't take near as much energy to produce it. Uh, with ethanol, I think I think that's a, a dead-end street. But I think we need to... Like on a small scale tractors, I've seen guys have, uh, like in Mother Earth News, you see these little solar powered tractors on their gardens. Uh, we need to be focusing on in, uh, inventions and innovations to get uh, more horsepower where we're able to do that with bigger tractors. Because if not, we're screwed. We're going to be uh, high and dry one of these years if we continue to just pretend like that. Uh, problem of peak oil is, you know, uh, some sort of urban legend or, or whatever, but it's very much a reality. Yeah, and when you talk about reducing the amount of land per family, well, that would mean, well, a couple of things come to my mind. First of all, one, we're going to need more farmers, and obviously you recognize that, and that's probably one of the reasons why you decided to go into farming, as you explained earlier. And two, uh, going back to the concept of, you know, Buckminster, Buck, Buckminster Fuller's idea of design science being an extremely efficient way to get as much resource out of, you know, anything you're investing in because design science yields so much return on investment. So the types of things you're talking about, more advanced rotations, uh, better innovations and in technology will allow us to get more out of less land. So we're not really quite, my sense of it is we're not quite sure how much we can get out of a single acre. Bill Mollison says he can get, and, and this is a previous interview that I did with him on his farm in Tasmania, he's able to get eight to 10 hectares of yield from a single hectare you know, comparing it to standard types of yields. And he does that by polycropping and all sorts of innovative practices that he and others have, have innovated. So there's definitely a lot of room to play there, but we need a lot of people to play it. Yeah, that's... I get frustrated a lot of time because I, you know, I it it's not where it needs to be right now. And I don't as far as widespread recognition, it's not there yet. And as far as the practices, um, 
I think we can still get there, but we're going to have to start working and we're going to have to start working very soon. Um, you know, we farmers, a lot of time we focus on, I think, legislation, uh, the farm bill right now, you know, the, the changes or whatever that's going on with that. It's not going to be a piece of paper from Congress that's going to make our lives better out here. And I think that the sooner we recognize that, uh, the much better off we're going to be. It's it's going to come from our own minds, our own bodies, but those minds have to change, <laughs> and that's that's a very challenging, um, very challenging compromise with farmers because we're a very very stubborn breed, and uh, but uh, I just hope there's enough younger guys uh, out there that that will start making these changes as well because that's where it's going to have to come from I think from from our generation. I also want to ask you how you feel local communities can have an impact on farmers. Now my question is how do you think that local communities need to reach out to farmers over the next 18 to 24 month period and do you think that can help them to change their minds on some of this on some of these issues? I think certainly it would help. Um, I think the more people you have to come together to address the issues and challenges we have, then the more awareness it's going to spread. You know, it's, I think knowledge or enlightenment's uh, contagious just like anything else. Um, it just takes little small sparks here and there in each community, and, and there has to be enough people willing to get together to not just talk about it, but to do something about it. Um, you know, from farmers markets to to whatever. I mean, you see it already. People being conscious of the food reading. You know, we seventy percent of our food is imported or something crazy like that. Um, you know, we're getting a lot of it from Central and South America. I mean, it's it's just not feasible for a long for long-term solution to our problems, it needs to, there's no reason for food to go more than 20 to 50 miles when you're surrounded by farmland. And that's what we need to be creating is, is where we're start to feed ourselves and start uh, producing our own fuel and, and just use our resources wisely. And um, instead of just being really gluttonous, uh, if we can remove the gluttony and substitute that with uh, harmony and um, efficiency, man, what a world. What a world we could create around us. Well, Eric Herm, on that note, I'd like to thank you for joining us for this interview. And I know that our listeners support the work that you're doing, and I certainly support the work that you're doing. And we're definitely in some ways a disparate community geographically on the one hand, but on the other hand, we're in our local communities and participating and participating in the farmer's markets and many of the things you mentioned, growing our own gardens and looking for ways to promote local sustainability and local food. So we just have to keep fighting the good fight. That's right. That's right. And, you know, just, if you're involved in it, don't don't stop. Whatever you're doing, don't stop learning, and uh, continue to talk to your friends and family. I know it can get 
frustrating and but just bringing a few more people each year uh, to this movement is is going to be extremely beneficial for all of us and for future generations. Thank you for joining us, Eric, on the Agro Innovations Podcast. All right. Thanks for having me, Frank. That is the end of my interview with Eric Herm, who is blogging at sonofafarmer.com. We will link to that on our website. And it's always good to hear the voices of farmers who are actually in the trenches and doing the work. A couple of pieces of information. You can follow uh, my blog and the podcast via my Twitter feed, which is at twitter.com slash agroinnovations, if you are so inclined. And also, I know that uh, some of the listeners have expressed frustration with the fact that our iTunes feed is broken. And I am working on that somewhat sporadically. If you are a frequent listener, you probably know that uh, this podcast isn't a full-time thing for me. I just something, a, a small project that I do on the side. So I am working to get that iTunes feed fixed. Please be patient and bear with me. In the meantime, you can listen uh, via our podcast page, which is at agroinnovations.com slash podcast. And you can listen there online, or you can download the show and probably get it into iTunes that way by downloading it, although iTunes is not something that I use personally, so I'm not quite sure about that. Please send us your comments and your suggestions and whatever else you would like to contribute and share with us. There is a comment feed on the agronovisions.com podcast page which you can use, which is unfortunately somewhat underutilized. So sign on to there and leave your comments under each show. And also, you can send me a comment at podcast at agroinnovations.com, and I will receive your mail via that address and also via our webpage, which you can click on contact, and there's a contact form that you can send email to us. This is the agroinnovations.com podcast. I'm your host, Frank Aragona. Until next time, saludos.